to the Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hall. With me, as always, my amazing co-host. Patrick Terry. Hello, Patrick. Welcome, buddy. Hello, Jeff. No, man. It's a Monday. I'm two-fisting my coffee today. Not because I really need to, because um, not really like that. It's I just want something, something more to drink, and I'm already almost finished with one, so yeah. I just came prepared for a very long episode that we have that I'm joking about. Um, how you doing, my friend? Pretty good. I uh, actually had enough time. I ate breakfast this morning, got a little bit left on my tea, and then and I just dropped my spoon. <laughs> Oh, I thought you broke your glass. And my bowl. No. No, it's plastic. If it breaks, then something wrong there. Yep. But, um, yeah. All's well. Okay. <laughs> I'll pick that up later. Okay. Uh, awesome, man. So what's been going on? Anything new? Uh, nothing new. Just a normal, you know, boring work schedule. That's all I've been doing is just work home. Occasional stop to the grocery store. Uh, yesterday, I got a new battery for my car because oh. I'd gotten an oil change a little while back. And I said, hey, it's time to change your battery. Of course, that was two months ago. And then, <laughs> then i just been yeah. like taking it like, yeah, you know, maybe just trying to get money out of me. But I said, you know, I've been having the same battery since I got the car. So oh, as okay. soon as I get a chance, let me go ahead and switch it out before yeah. I get stranded. <laughs> so finally yep. did it yesterday. And then um, my daughter recently told me she likes taco salads. So while okay. I was out doing that, I picked up a couple of those for us, and she, I told her she was going to like them. Then she finally tried it with her mom. She's like, yeah, I like them. I'm like, told it's you. funny how they usually try new foods with their moms and then yeah. end up liking them, and they're like, oh, yeah, kind of told yeah. you, but <laughs> yeah. kind of mentioned, thought I'd mentioned saying that before. Yeah, she sent me a text. Oh, I finally tried a taco salad, and it's really good. I'm like, yeah. The hell you say? <laughs> <laughs> the hell you say? <laughs> We'll say welcome, we never to, welcome to a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, something new. Um, didn't have guacamole, which is, I'm, I'm not really a fan of guacamole, but if I mix it up together with the taco salad, then it's okay because it's all blended. But um, just, you know, your normal tomatoes, lettuce, cheese, sour cream in the mm-hmm. shell from Las Palmas. That's my favorite place to get taco oh, salads yeah. from. Yeah, Las yeah. Palmas is a bomb. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, in the uh, same realm of, you know, dad may know a thing or two every now and then. Yeah. Uh, Grayson wanted to go for a walk a couple nights ago. So we went and we got, she likes going up to, her, up to uh, the school that's close by. And we got most of the way there and clouds were rolling in. But, the you know, to the, you know, to the left, it's like, clouds 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 but to the right it's like bright sun you know and clear so i'm like i can't and the clouds were moving so slow i couldn't see what direction they were going right and i know it usually runs west to east but it i couldn't tell like i seriously cannot tell but i could tell that it was starting to rain around the neighborhoods nearby i'm like trying to tell her we need to turn around and go back because i was showing her you know where it was raining and everything Mm -hmm. And she's like, but I still want to go to this playground. I go, I get that, but we will be getting rained on shortly. I'm here to tell you. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure that's coming our way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to go up here. I say, you know what? We'll go up to this pavilion. All right. And then, uh, you know, if it rains, we'll see if we can wait it out. Nah. 
as soon not a minute after we got up there to that pavilion, it started raining. Wow. It within three minutes, it was downpour, like torrential downpour. Like it was, yeah. Cats and dogs. Yep. So I had to call Ruth and she had to come pick us up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was like, and it thunder, and it ended up thundering and lightning while we were, you know, waiting. Yeah. But we were on a wooden bench, so I think we we're we were okay, and it was covered. I mean, it was a covered pavilion thing. Okay. But yeah, I was like, so you know. Remember when I told you we probably needed to turn around? Maybe next time I say that, we do that? Yes. Yeah. All right. The thing, I, the thing I said would happen, happened. <laughs> I took some great pictures. I'll have to post those. Um, like right beforehand. I mean, it's beautiful because the sun's setting at the same mm-hmm. time. So it's like this almost like sepia-colored uh, rain coming from the sky. It was pretty cool because the sun was setting and the some clouds were not really cloudy. But still, again, clear on the other side. Um, so I'll have to, I'll have to put, be sure to post those. But yeah, man. Um, other than that, um, finished uh, getting the playroom reorg, uh, you know, straightened back up again after clearing everything out of this closet. Yeah. The studio, and then um, we finished uh, redecorating York's room, and I mean, not really a whole lot, but has a new bed now and um and then we just kind of each wall has a theme not like an entire room like grayson's yeah but like one wall is Fortnite, or at least one half of the back wall is Fortnite. the other half is minecraft uh, another wall is stranger things so he's you know kind of got several different things going on which is cool right um but yeah that's about it and then like i said we finally Got every, um, everything put away that was in Grayson's room that needed to be done. So her room's all set up. And uh, that was pretty much my day yesterday from the time I woke up till almost the time I went to bed. Wow. <laughs> Sat down twice all day for not very long. So, But it's all that matters. Yeah. Um, but no, everybody's good. And I got to do this amazing interview that we will get into here shortly. And I was trying to leave clues on our page to see if anybody got it. I don't think anybody... Uh, either I'm not sure how many people watched it, but um, the trailers are all movies that our our interviewee interviewer interviewee uh, talked about or directed. So be excited to get into that. But first, you get to go. You are right. up. All right. So you know we've had some time. I watched about four properties, but mm-hmm. we got get to choose which one um so i'm deciding to talk about a movie called i see you which is on amazon prime video is that intensive carry in it (laughs) (laughs) it's weird because there's like two two or three movies with the same similar title okay there's another one with the exact title called i see you released the same year but it's a whole different premise and then there's another one called I Still See You, but that came out in 2018. So I don't know if it's related to the other movie, but it's weird. <laughs> it's kind of like I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. Right. It was it I'll right. Always Know What You Did Last Summer? I think it was the third one. Something like that. But I mean, yeah. but I, I think I Still See You is not related to either one. It's a whole uh, thing on its own. But um, this one was um, released March 11th for South by Southwest. And then it had a U.S. release December 6, 2019. 
the director is Adam Randall. <clears throat> it's uh, 96 minutes long, so it's not really. It's kind of short. Yeah. And the budget itself was about $5 million. And then it had a box office return of 696309 So I guess it had like a limited release. Uh, stars Helen Hunt, uh, J- John Tenney, Judah Lewis, Owen Teague, and Lib Bearer. And basically what it's about, have this town that's had a string of missing children. And then for this story, you've had a 10-year-old boy who gets snatched out of thin air by some some force while riding his bike in a nearby local wood or park. And this is a movie where at first I was like halfway through, I was about to check out of it. Yeah. But, um, but it does, it's, it's one of those movies. If you stick with it, it kind of pays off. In the end. you know, I wasn't okay. disappointed by the end. So again, the movie starts off with a 10 year old boy who gets snatched off his bike while riding in a local park or wood wooded area. Um, <clears throat> And then the town starts search, searching for him. But then you have this family of three, which is um, mother, father, and their son. And so the family's in shambles because the mom had active infidelity. She cheated on her mm-hmm. husband. And as a result, both the son and the father kind of resent her. I mean, they're like really assholes towards her. Like they're just cold. Mm. Like it's, it's just weird. You know, I mean, yeah. not weird. I mean, I kind of understand the dad but son he said i could take it took it harder than the dad you know all right but um there's even a moment where you know they're both home at the same time she's trying to talk to him cook and everything he's just like non-responsive nothing just had an she basically had an entanglement with someone you know speaking of Mm. things going on this week Mm. (laughs) yeah so (laughs) unlike you know they're not celebrities so they can't just brush it off (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah, so the dad ends up being the lead detective on this case to find this 10-year-old boy because there's a green pocket knife that's found at the scene that is similar to one that was on the older, similar case from years ago where there was a yeah. kidnapping. And um, <clears throat> so along with that, weird things starts happening in the house where there's weird noises they hear. They start having missing items. TV starts turning on and off by itself. Uh, even the record player gets turned on. You know, it kind of gives you this feeling like maybe some supernatural is going on. Right. Um, and again, like I said, I almost checked out of the movie. But then, keeping watching, it kind of switched perspectives, which makes everything that happened before kind of make more sense. Um, can't go into that because it's spoiler territory. Right. But... Um, for whatever, for everything that this movie's about, everyone in it gives great, pretty decent performances. Uh, it's a little, a little cheesy at some points. Yeah. But um, once it switches that perspective and you start seeing what was really going on, it's like, wow, okay, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um. But again, I did, I did enjoy it. Uh, Helen Hunt looks pretty, pretty old in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Almost didn't recognize her. Like I know it's Helen Hunt, but she doesn't actually look like Helen Hunt. Yeah. It's her. Um, and I, that's like the only. Well, that, there's another actor in the movie. I can't. I don't. I can't pick uh, places name on the on the names I gave. But there's only two actors in there that I recognize. Everybody else I'd never seen or heard of before. Uh, but um. So. Yeah, but um. It's a crazy movie. I mean, I kind of it's it's. it's 
It almost seemed like it was bored. I was bored for the first half. Then once it switched, it got more interesting. Oh yeah. So John Tenney, if anybody is, uh, if anybody has watched uh, True Detective season three, he plays Alan Jones. Uh, he's in it for most of the season. That's a good. Um, he was really good in that. He was in Major Crimes. He uh, because he was only in he was in Long Mirror. Done a lot of TV, Hand of God, Scandal, for you Scandal people. Uh, Andrew Nichols is who he played on Scandal. He was also in um, Tombstone, of course. Kind of an easy one. Um, he played Bean and uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 played Levine. So he's been in, he's been around for a good minute. Um, and also got Erica Alexander from... Living single, and then she had a, a role in Get Out. Yep. Seems like she's playing these small little law enforcement roles now. Yep. Deja Vu, 54, yeah. which I think 54 is kind of an underrated movie from uh, 1998 with Ryan Phillippe, Selma Hayek, Nev Campbell, and uh, Mike Myers. That's like one of Mike yeah. Myers' best roles, I think. Okay. And I don't, I can't remember if he got nominated or not, but he was really good in that movie but i mean it's not a super great movie but he's his performance in it is really good anyways that's kind of a little tangent on that one yeah um i want to see i want to see him play those kind of roles oh sam trammell from uh, true blood is also in your movie yeah i've never watched true blood that's why okay yeah he played (laughs) sam trammell actually played sam uh merlot the owner of the restaurant merlot's um so, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I was like, I recognize that name. That's a dude from Triple <laughs> um, But Yeah, okay. So, for me, I, I'm only, because we, the bulk of our episode is going to be the interview with, yep, um, yep. if you haven't figured it out by now, it's going to be, well, it's also going to be on, when you download the episode, it'll be right there too. So, I guess it's not really that big of a mystery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. I was fortunate and honored enough, uh, honored enough, fortunate and uh, fortunate enough and very honored. There we go. That's how we word that. To uh, to have been able to get the opportunity uh, to interview director Rod Lurie. He's been around for a good minute. I mean, 20 plus years. Before that, he uh, he was a L.A. film critic. And um, he's written two books, um, the James Dean murder mystery, I think that's what it's called, and um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, not based on the movie or whatever. The movie was not based on the book. Same title, different stories. Um, They're both fictional, but he he was also – yeah, there we go, 1995, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – Cohen, movie making, con games, and murder in the Goiter City. So there you go. Um, and then um, he went into filmmaking after, I guess, years of being a film critic. <laughs> right. He uh, he made in 1999 his first feature film was a movie called Deterrence, starring Kevin Pollock. And I haven't seen this movie actually, and I. Really kind of, and I kind of want to. 
the movies I'm going to talk about, because I'm just going to kind of discuss his filmography before we um, before we move into the interview that I recorded with him yeah. uh, earlier this week. So Deterrent starts Kevin Pollock and Timothy Hutton. It's about it's uh, from 1999, hour and 44 minutes. The president of the United States must deal with a, an international military crisis while confined to a Colorado diner during the freak snowstorm. Sounds interesting. So, um, Sean Astin's also in it. So, I'm trying to see if there's anybody else. Um, but I'm, I, I kind of want to find it. You can rent most of these either on Prime or iTunes or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Or check them out from the library. I know our library now is doing curbside service. You can't go into the library, but you can still reserve stuff and then go pick it up. So that's pretty cool. So uh, if you're not in the Nashville area, check with your local library, see if they're doing the same thing, and then see if you can find these films. Uh, Next was is a movie that is near and dear to my heart, and thankfully in the interview I I was able to ask um, some questions about it. It's a movie called The Contender. And I know I talked about it a little bit, um, with um, on a previous episode um, when I was first talking about um, when I talked about the outpost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Senator Lane Hansen is a contender for the U.S. vice president, but information and disinformation about her past surfaces that threatens to derail her confirmation. I know I own this DVD. I cannot find it anywhere. I was kind of irritated. So what I think happened is I loaned it to somebody and um, I just never got it back, which is fine because that person, that means somebody else now has this awesome movie and should, you know, hopefully we'll pass on somebody else, you know, paying it forward and all that. So I just repurchased it on iTunes (laughs) so I could watch it again and, um, and then, you know, kind of revisit it because it's been a couple years. Um, watch it again and then be ready for you know to ask questions about it in the interview. Uh, movie stars Joan Allen, Gary Oldman, Jeff Bridges. This is Jeff Bridges right after Lebowski. And uh, Christian Slater, Sam Elliott, also from Lebowski. Uh, William Peterson, most people know him from CSI, the original CSI. I, of course, know him from Young Guns 2, playing Pat Garrett. Um, he was also in was it Manhunt. Manhunter, whatever the first, the original Red Dragon. Yeah. Um, Saul Rubinick, Bill Baker Hall. I mean, there's a huge cast. Mariel Hemingway. Uh, great cast. Um, still one of my favorite movies. Absolutely love it. love it. Rod also wrote the movie, too. He wrote and directed the movie. Um, he also did some, he's also done some TV work as well. He did a TV show, Line of Fire, uh, did seven episodes. And then in 2005, he was actually the creator for the TV series Commander-in-Chief, and he also directed four episodes there. And then in 2007, he directed a movie called Resurrecting the Champ. And it's about an up-and-coming sports reporter um, that rescues a homeless man nicknamed Champ. Uh, only to discover that he is that he is in fact a boxing legend believed to have passed away. What begins as an opportunity to resurrect Champ's story 
and escape the shadow of his father's success becomes a personal journey as the ambitious reporter reexamines his own life and his relationship uh, with his family. So that's Samuel L. Jackson, Josh Hartnett, Catherine Morris again. Uh, she was in Contender, Alan Alda, um, Rachel Nichols, Terry Hatcher. Again, another, David Pamer, Henry Lennox, Peter Coyote. I mean, another great, <clears throat> excuse me, great cast. Um, next was in 2011, uh, Rod then directed a remake. And it's, as of right now, you know, it's the only remake, you know, he's directed. And he, 2011, he directed Straw Dogs. Originally, um, <coughs> excuse me, originally starring Dustin Hoffman. Um, this one stars James Marsden, Kate Bosworth, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, James Woods, Dominic Purcell. I mean, again, another huge cast. Willa Holland, Walton Goggins. I mean, Drew Powell. It's a lot of CW people on here. <laughs> I just realized, <laughs> like, oh, it's got... Uh, like oh it's got speedy and it's got and it's got grundy and it's got um heat wave anyways um so for those that don't know um straw dogs is about los angeles screenwriter david summer relocates with his wife to her hometown in the deep south there while tensions build between them a brewing conflict with locals becomes a threat to them both dun, dun, dun. i actually do remember watching this one i thought it was actually really well done like a, this version you know this um was a really good update to to the original movie so then um rod also did some more tv american odyssey did three episodes um hell on wheels did three episodes did a tv movie in 2016 killing reagan and then um 2017 did two episodes of Damnation and another TV movie, Monsters of God, which then brings us to the one I discussed last week, The Outpost. The Outpost is now, I believe, is now still number one on iTunes for three weeks in a row, and I believe also uh, Prime. So it's running number one on both uh, streaming platforms. I think the only thing it's not, I mean, because it's not on Hulu, so, um, Hulu, on Hulu, it's number, uh, I think Palm Springs is number one and Netflix okay, is okay. the old guard, but as far as like rentals and VOD, it's still number one on iTunes. So congrats to Rod and the, and everybody that worked on the film on for their success. And I hope it only stays that way. Cause that movie is phenomenal. I hope everyone has had a chance to watch it. If not, I hope this interview will just kind of help make you want to see that film as well as the rest of his work. And without further ado, what's, uh, we'd say, let's get into the interview. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And today we are with, uh, my special guest that I am over the moon excited, um, that I was able to do this. Um, I'm with uh, director, Rob Lurie, Rod Lurie, who directed, uh, his latest film, The Outpost, which we just talked about, and or at least I talked about, and was over the moon excited about seeing it. Um, if you've been listening, 
you know, I've been talking to Patrick about how this was my most, I guess you could say, anticipated movie to see this year. And I was not let down by any stretch. Uh, I guess listeners, ladies, gentlemen, listeners, let's rock, uh, welcome Rod Laurie. Rod, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Um, first of all, I want to just say thank you for taking time out of your day to to speak with me about this movie and, uh, you know, and, and about your work. Um, first and foremost, uh, I want to thank you for your service um, mm. as a veteran and as someone that has served. Um, I definitely appreciate it, and I know our fans are as well. Thank you. I, I, I must say, you know, it's um, the movie we're talking about is The Outpost, about about the, the military. It's a combat film, and, and I, I did serve, and, and thank you for your acknowledgement, but I also have to say that I never served in combat. Right. So I, I graduated from West Point in 1984 into the peacetime army. And um, I think the fact that I never served in combat um, is one of the reasons I really wanted to make um, a film, not a war film, and not just any war. It had to be this war or the Iraq war because yeah. that's where my brothers that I graduated from fought it. Okay. That's awesome. Um, that actually kind of kind of gets us into um, – one of the things I kind of, one of the first questions I actually kind of had was, you know, was the fact that you had graduated from West Point and right. that you served in the Army. Um, and I was going to ask you if you thought that that experience helped you in any way in telling the story of the outpost. Well, it, it, it does. I mean, I, I, you know, I know military history rather well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, and I know a lot about the history of war in, in, in Afghanistan. And, um, but the, what West Point and the military really did for me more than anything else is had me lead and had me um, able to deal with situations uh, in a way where I can always say, you know, I've been in a tougher scrape than this. Right. And people who've been in combat have really been in a tougher scrape than this. And so I'm on this movie set and I got a bunch of military guys with me. Besides myself, they're my two military advisors. There's a bunch of actors who had been in the military. There are um, people who had served in this outpost, outpost Keating, who had, um, you know, who had served. And so whenever we ran into any sort of trouble, you know, we're military dudes. We, you know, we can deal with it. And uh, so th does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good. Yeah, because I was, because as I was watching this film, I'm like, I bet, you know, because you can tell, I mean, obviously, anybody that has seen this film can tell the love and care that went into it. And the fact, and when I uh, talked about it on the previous episode, when I was mm -hmm. discussing it with um, Patrick about how this is very much a war film. It's not an, you know, like an action film where, you know, people, where people, you know, can get hurt and then they can keep going on. You know, this is a lot more grounded and it's, it's, it's meant to be as real as it can get without it being a documentary essentially well i mean th then then we really have achieved our goal because we don't want it to be a documentary we, no we want it to be a, we definitely want it to be a, a film with a you know a storyline that is um that is followed um but you know we were inspired by documentaries like there was a documentary called restrepo yes which I've seen really it. really inspired us and in fact i showed it to all the actors before we started shooting the, the movie because I wanted to see them to see how the soldiers moved, how they talked, what their attitudes were. There's a breakdown scene in Restrepo that we tried to 
emulate a little bit in, in our film. So, you know, that's a really great film. In fact, I talk a lot about Restrepo in interviews, and I think I've moved as many copies of Restrepo as I have of, uh, Pro of yeah. Outpost, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one in the uh, follow-up, uh, Korengal. That one's awesome. Yeah, I showed that one also to, to, yeah. our, to our crew and to, and to our cast. You know, these are, you know, these are important films, and, but, you know, it's more likely that a narrative film like ours will get a lot of eyeballs more than yes. the documentaries will. So it's important. It's an important way to get the message out and to get the story out and uh, to uh, the great American public and the world public about, uh, about our film. And I think the, um, at least from when I, from, you know, for when I was watching it, the fact that it had that grounded effect or at least not effect, but that, that feeling that it was a lot more grounded. It wasn't just some big action movie that it was, you know, this grounded war film and it just added to the intensity and the emotion well, during the ups, downs and, you know, during the, the final battle, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, look, so on the set with us were all these real live dudes, you know, that were actually in that battle. Yeah. And, and people that had served in combat. And, you know, they wouldn't let us get away with anything less than authentic. Right. There would be these uh, long, long um, shots that I would do in the film, and we thought we'd nailed everything. And when the military guys come to us and say, no, no, you, you fucked that one up. That's completely wrong. And I would say, come on, man, we got to move on. They go, well, okay, if you want every soldier in America to laugh at you. And then we would go back and, oh, and redo those sequences. <laughs> and so, like, uh, we were almost shamed into making the film really authentic and really proper. And I'm really grateful for those guys. Yeah. Um, and that kind of goes to one of my other questions is that um, what sort of preparation did the cast go through in order to help bring their characters to life? Uh, well, there, there were, there were, there are two things. One is that I put them through that ritual of the basic training, mm -hmm. right? which was not easy for them. A lot of these guys, some of these guys were actual vets, so they were able to get through it. And everyone got through it, but they were able to get through it easy. The rest of the guys, you know, they're trained at Juilliard or they're trained at Carnegie yeah. Mellon. And, you know, it, it was a very difficult experience for them. And there were a lot of tears and it was not easy. And, and I told them before we started shooting, I told these guys, you know, it's going to be rough and you're going to have to deal with it. Get out now if you want. Right. Um, the other thing that they did was all of them, every everyone, every soldier in this movie had a communication with either the person they were playing or the families. Yeah, I was curious about that. And you know, my real goal there, Jeff, it, it was, I can tell you now, it was not so much to, um, it was not so much to get them to replicate these specific human beings because right. Nobody knows who they are. It's not like I'm making a movie about Nixon, right? Where, right, right. Or Patton, where you know how those guys behave and you need yeah. them. Um, but what I wanted them to do is become invested in the characters. Yeah. By talking to their family members, by talking to them, to make every one of them say, I cannot mess this up. I've got to get this right. Yeah. Um, and there's, it seems like, you know, I mean, other than just the physical toll, but just also trying to just that added pressure that they don't want to essentially let the families down in their performance, trying to do well, anything that, that's, less that, Right. That's where that's really it. And, you know, and, you know, 
when they first take these jobs, these actors, you know, they just think they're going on a job. Or they say, this is great, I got a job. And they don't sit back and think about the consequence of what they're going to do. So so look, you've got um, eight people, nine people um, who died as a result of this battle. And that means that you have got nine families and friends that are going to watch this film. Hundreds of people. This exponentially goes out to hundreds of people. Right. Watch this. And your performance is going to affect the lives of these people. If you fuck this up. Yeah. If you portray their loved ones in a, in a way that they find less than dignified while remaining real, and that's the important yes. thing, you're going to mess these people up. However, if you get it right, you will give them closure in their lives. Yeah. And man, these people were really, um, they were really moved by these performances. Good. And that is, I mean, really moved. We did a special screening for them mm-hmm. in, um, in October of last year in Washington, D.C. And, you know, there, there's this uh, Native American expression, which is that you die twice. Once when you leave this earth and the second time when the last person ever speaks your name. And we get an opportunity for all these people to have their names spoken. Yeah. And I think I might have actually borrowed something like that. I uh, actually just gotten back um, from visiting my, or from, uh, from having, from a trip to go to, um, back to my home state in Missouri um, for a memorial service for my grandfather who passed away early in June. Sorry. And uh, he served in the Navy, Korea, and uh, World War II. And uh, that's kind of one of the things I said. That's, and you know, everybody, he will always be remembered as long as people continue to tell stories about him. That's right. And, and, that's, that, is, and that is really important. I think that a lot of these people, these are not wealthy people. These are not influential people. You know, these are people that are easily forgotten. They gave them some money when their loved one died. And, um, and then that was it. It went up in a puff of smoke. Um, and now they just want their kids to be remembered, their husbands to be remembered. They need that closure, you know. And so, uh, so these actors, uh, they were not going to fuck this up. Yeah. Wasn't and, gonna- yeah, and it showed. I mean, the the cast was amazing, and I I just thought the acting was amazing. Uh, the, definitely one of the performances that kind of stood out because I've followed some of these actors before in previous films and seen them um seen how they do but i thought caleb landry jones's performance was just it's out of this world and, I, and i'm gonna go on a limb and say i think it's the best combat but one of the best combat performances yeah. i've i've ever seen i'm not talking about in a war film although it belongs there as well yeah. but the performance of that soldier in combat is about as good as as movies can possibly get yeah, and I, it, you you feel it too because you experience, especially when he's in that uh, what's it APC armored, yeah. whatever the vehicle, right. mm-hmm. and he's stuck in there, and he sees his his fellow, he, he sees the other soldier out there still alive, trying wanting to get out there but can't, and you could just see the anxiety and terror in his face, and just you feel that too. I mean, you feel it, and it's just. I was just like, Good. anxiety and terror and shame that he's not doing anything. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, Caleb managed, but I, I really also knew how to photograph that kid because he's got these fantastic 
expressive yeah. eye. And I took this wide angle lens, I put it right up against his face and, um, and just let the camera search those eyes. Yeah. And I think that he, I mean, this kid just completely nailed it. You know, if you don't know Caleb and people in the audience, he was the brother in the movie Get Out. Yes. And he was the guy who gets thrown out the window in um, Three Billboards. Yeah. Uh, and from your, from your home state. And, yeah. um, and but this tops all of them. And he's so opposite of what Ty Carter, the guy who was playing in the Medal of Honor winner, really, uh, winner is the wrong word, recipient. Yeah. We were trained not to say that, but recipient. Um, he's so different from him. He's so different. The opposite of him. Hmm. Like to the point where when I met with Caleb at Mel's Drive-In restaurant in L.A., it seemed ludicrous that he would play this role. Ludicrous. But it wasn't. It, made a lot, it ended up making a lot of sense. Right. And that kind of actually answered my follow, too. Um, so from a uh, technical aspect, um, what sort of challenges did you and your cinematographer, uh, Lorenzo Senator, uh, face in making sure that the camera remained a character during the battle? Lorenzo Senatore, he's a magnificent, uh, magnificent Italian. Well, I'll give you one piece of one piece of inside scoop, which you know may be kind of kind of interesting, and that is that I shot a lot of this movie in these long single shots, mm -hmm. right? We're not cutting around at all, right? Sticking with it the whole way through, and um, but the problem with that is that you have to get everything right all the time. The, Explosions have to go correctly. Um, every actor, every extra, everything has to be perfect. And if you don't get it perfect, uh, or I want something different, you got to start all over again. The problem with that, one of the problems, normally would be that the camera operator would be exhausted. Because right. you're carrying, I don't know, 70 pounds, 80 pounds? It's right. Like really expensive. And in front of you, and it's very, or on your shoulder, uh, or in, um, or in a, um, a steady cam phase. It's mm -hmm. very, it's not easy. So what we did was we disassembled the entire camera. We put everything into a backpack. We attached a cord to the lens and just let him put the backpack on it and carry the lens around. So it made it far less arduous for him yeah. to do that. Far less arduous for him, yeah. for him to do that. And, um, and it was, um, and so we were able to, you know, to get those shots and, and actually do them two or three times if needed. Awesome. Um, I was curious because, I mean, that's kind of one of the things you're kind of, at least I feel, to me, you're one of the things you're, at least for me, you're known for is for those long one-take shots. Yeah. And just the, <laughs> yeah, because it's, it, it's just, you know, it's one of those things I've noticed in your films and that's, I mean, which to me is just a testament because that's, those are not easy. Those take a long time to do, to set up the timing and everything. Mm -hmm. So I was in curious kind of the one. So um, one more question before we move on is the one thing I hadn't still haven't figured out as to why, why they decided to put that outpost where they did in that fishbowl setting. I, I kept like I rewatched the movie to see if I missed it. No, and it, it just it's, pretty much said it was a foobar type thing. 
it was a it, it was a food bar, but it was um, a food bar with a reason, and that is that they felt that they needed the men close to villages in order to right. counterinsurgency. Plus, that road um, had been a supply route between Pakistan and Afghanistan of weapons from Pakistan to the Taliban. Okay. So, so look, so my feeling on it, there were reasons, but the reasons were not good enough. Right. To allow for something like this to happen. They created an absolutely indefensible. Oh, yeah. It's a tactical nightmare. Yeah. But and, and, um, that was one of the things in the film that I, I really enjoyed was when um, Scott Eastwood's character and uh, uh, Caleb Landry Jones and another one were on that, went on that walk. And then they, you know, looked at the camp from down there and then talked about what they would do if they were the, you know, if they were the enemy. That's right. And uh, a little bit of foreshadowing, but also kind of them trying to get in that mindset, okay, this is, you know, if we get a, a serious attack, this is, we know this will probably yes. be where they go. That's right. That's exactly right. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. In fact. Yeah, mine too. And I just thought that that was, I was like, that was smart. I mean, obviously I was like, okay, well, that's obviously foreshadowing, but that's good that they're doing that, that that was there for the audience to experience. One, it shows how, you know, that they're trying to, the best way to figure out, you know, the best way for a defense to figure out what your opponents, you know, what their strategy may be. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also gave the audience a sense of a layout of the of the outpost. Of the outpost, yeah. It's difficult to do on the ground. Yes, agreed. Um, uh, real quick, I kind of want to talk about one of my favorite films of yours. Make I guess it makes both of us not really feel super young, but <laughs> that is now 20 years old this year. Um, the movie. The contender. The, the contender. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really, it really is amazing that it is 20 years old. It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> but no, it, it, it really does not feel like it. And um, I swear it's like yesterday. It's one of the great experiences of my life making that film. Shot in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I was never, really never happier. You know, when, and I was me. I'm never happier than when I'm filming a movie. I'm never happier than filming a movie that I write. I'm never happier than when I'm filming a movie that's just working. And those actors were just so amazing on that on that set. It was really something. Yeah. So a little history for me, at least, is so when that movie came out, I was currently I was in college and I was mm -hmm. essentially taking film classes at the time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So college, by the way. Uh, so this is when I was living in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, it's now known as Missouri State University. Okay. It, okay. When I went there, it was Southwest Missouri State, and then before I moved. Okay. Uh, and so uh, when I was taking classes there, and uh, stupid math, I couldn't pass math, so I couldn't get accepted in the program. So I kept having to. Anyways, um, but I was taking film classes when this movie came out, and it was. Right. You know, when I watched it, the performances, really, you know, obviously stuck out because this cast from top to bottom is just amazing. I mean, yeah. there's not one single bad performance. That's right. And, That's right. and I kind of talked about this on a previous episode, too, when I was trying to talk about mm -hmm. also when I was talking about the outpost and some of your work and that this and how, you know, what this movie meant for me as something as I was like, OK, this is amazing. The first time I watched it, and then um, when I saw it the second time, the story and the performances I still found obviously amazing. But I, 
I fell in fell in love more with the technical as, as aside from it, just the different shots you decided to do. And right. and I was just like, these are just amazing because this is stuff I was think because I was thinking, okay, for movies that I felt that had a similar style, I guess I thought of all the President's Men, right, uh, the Candidate. Yeah. Um, even a little bit of network and Manchurian Candidate, just different. Well, my, uh, the Manchurian Candidate, uh, first of all, all those films, um, not network. Well, network a little bit because a little bit, just a great use of overlapping dialogue. Yeah, but um, but those other films, definitely, absolutely. Um, but it's interesting you bring up the Manchurian Candidate because um, my mentor was John Frankenheimer, who directed the Manchurian yes. Candidate. But why did you bring up Manchurian Candidate? I'm, I'm so curious. there's a specific shot, and I don't know why it made me think of it, but there's a specific shot when you're when um, the president, played by uh, Jeff Bridges, awesome in this film, and um, is talking to Gary Oldman in the at the uh, towards the end of the film in the in the Oval Office. Right. There's a shot where you're shoot where the camera is pointed up at the ceiling of, right. of the president's seal. Uh-huh. And it's just the two characters just standing there having that short little bit of dialogue, right. kind of at a gotcha moment. Yeah. And it just, the way it was shot and framed and then the lighting well, too. That's really interesting because um, that's coincidental because there is a scene in the movie, if you see it again, mm-hmm. everyone on this podcast should go and download this film because I really, I really love it. But there is a scene, um, I, I believe it's a scene where they're discussing abortion Yes. The, everything is on television screens. Yes. And that was like within the room. And that is lifted directly. I called up John and I said, I'm going to lift this entirely. I want to steal. And he said, well, you're stealing for the best. And I said, okay, I'm going to just, it's a, but it's, it's a secret homage from me to you. And yes. we totally stole that whole sequence of that train candidate. Right. And that was, and that was, uh, that one. And, um, they also do it in all the presidents men too, when they're, when they're in the newsroom and then they're panning over right. to the TV also. Yes, but, that, but, that was that, but it's not done exactly the same way, but no, it, it had that, a similar that is the use of a split diopter, that a movie split diopter, which is really interesting. And I spent a lot of time talking to Redford about that when I was making a movie with him. But um, the, the other sequence is really a money, you know, that, yeah. that's where all the lead characters, the story is told with different cameras at different times on, on our lead characters. Yeah, no, I was very proud of it actually. Yeah, and uh, I actually rewatched it last night because I hadn't. Oh. It's been it's been a year or two, and I and I could not find my DVD copy that I you know that I've been using. So I think I, honestly, what I think I did was I think I loaned it to somebody to watch. Oh, I, see. I never got it back, which is I'm always good with that because okay. they're watching it and they have it good, paying it forward and all that. So yeah, so I, I downloaded it and watched it again. And um, and there's a scene where they're interviewing Mario Hemingway on the yeah. in the courtroom, yes. and it goes and the shift goes while they're talking about um, where they're talking about uh, another person. I won't say it for people that hadn't seen it. You know, um, where they shoot where the shot is on her, and then you do one of your little long. It's not even a full long take, but it goes from her, and yeah. then it sh- the framing shifts to where it also puts in Joan Allen on the other side. And you have both, and you have both of them right there in the shot yep. talking about this one specific person they have in common they know in common and I was like, wow, that I, is 
that right there was amazing. Mariella is really, really good in that film. And yes. Sequence, yeah. Um, came in for one day and she just totally nailed it. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Um, my favorite scene, I think, I mean, other than than the uh, other than that scene when they were talking about abortion, was that when speaking of your long take, the long takes, um, is the walk and talk when you first yeah. meet Christian Slater and Gary Oldman. Oldman, yeah, go walking yeah. into the Capitol. How complicated was it to shoot that scene? Because it's not only walking to talking, but you're having to deal with stairs as well. Yes, well. Yeah, and, and we actually began that on a, on a crane, and the crane lands on the steps, and the, and the operator, Henry Troll, gets off the steps and walks and walks with him. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was like, it, it started in the air. Yeah. You know, and landed with, uh, with, uh, landed with Henry Troll, the operator, and, um, and yeah, it, it was very complicated shot. Um, and also, you know, you um, we actually have a stitch in that shot when they actually enter the building. Okay. Now I may be able. The iris pulls are a little bit more sophisticated. I'll probably be able to, to get away with it. But uh, that that took a while. Yeah, because because I, I was just thinking just the part because they start outside and then go inside and then while they're inside, they go to one side of this little rotunda to go down the stairs, and then the camera goes on the camera. other side. Went on the other. That was the only way we could do it because it was uh, the stairs were too narrow. Yeah, and I so just I, that was out of necessity. That was amazing. I just I was like, wow, that's a difficult. That was that had to have been difficult because it's also walking back. You know, whoever had the camera had to have been walking backwards, or at least that's had a diagonal. That's right. And that's yeah. not only well, tricky, but also kind of right. dangerous. You need a really um, athletic guy. We you know we had a very athletic guy named Sasha Proctor who did the um, the outpost. When Henry is also he did the contender. You need athletes in those jobs. Yeah. They're not easy. It's uh, operating is not just for anybody. No, no, I agree. Um, so, since you, you you had already mentioned that you did write and direct the movie, do you think the contender was, I guess, as as they say, of its time, or would you say it was ahead of its time? Oh, I think it's a good question. I, uh, I think it's of its time. It can be both, I guess. <laughs> and, and ahead of it. So, no, I, I think it's a pretty timeless movie. Yeah. I think what it shows you is how, is how little changes and how things simply get more extreme and how hatred is such a driving force in, a, in, a, in, a, in American politics right now. And, and right now, what, you know, right now it's the politics that are, are guiding everything. Right. It, it used to, it used to be Jeff that we hated one another's um, uh, leaders. Mm -hmm. I say, well, I don't know what persuasion you are in the conservative right. bent, um, but um, but now we just hate each other. Right. And that's and that's and that's really bad. So I guess that my film was a time when we hated not each other but but our leaders, and so right. it's gotten it kind of a little worse right now. Yeah. You know. And there's a lot of, and you know, rewatching the film, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of different, not really so much themes, but different, different aspects of the film that is just as much relevant today as it was 20. I think I think that's true. And I think, and that's kind of where I was like, you know, what he might have been a little bit ahead of his time in in that regard. But I, and then I got thinking, I'm like, well, I wasn't as aware of politics, you know, then because I was like 20. 
23 then, 22, yeah. 23. So I wasn't as aware, still aware enough. Um, but as, you know, as people get older, they kind of try and stay a little more informed. And so that's where I was like, well, maybe it was, you know, those aspects of it. But um, really, I do think this movie is what, or at least was a little ahead of its time in well, that. I, I will say that, that one thing that, that has not changed and we really caught is the misogyny in, yes. in, in politics that, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, um, but we, we're, we're still not giving women a fair shake at a yeah. uh, political office. There is no doubt that Hillary Clinton suffered from some level of misogyny or certainly enough to make her lose the election by those, mm -hmm. by those, tiny, uh, those tiny factions. And we just simply view women uh, differently than we do men. We're tolerant of fewer things with women than, than we are with men. And that I think has um, was very well explored in the movie. Yeah, one thing I hadn't really thought of, but re you really made a good point in the film was the part where you, where uh, when Gary Oldman's character is questioning her, and this be right before the abortion uh, yeah. uh, moment was when he's talk when they were talking about maternity leave. Yeah, and then how she was in supportive of it. Well, if she had another kid. Which yeah. you take maternity leave as for, I was like, that's a fascinating question just to talk about, much less to have in a film. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, I, uh, to be honest with you, I watched the film again for the first time in 15 years or so mm -hmm. um, because I was showing it to my stepson for the first time. And I forgot that moment. And it is a good moment. I mean, like, you know, it's like, it's such an awful sexist question. And, um, but yet many people would, uh, would absolutely ask it. Yeah. And it's, I was like, well, that is kind of, I mean, does kind of make you wonder, but it's just, yeah. I mean, even if you are using, I mean, things, sometimes things happen. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it was, um, yeah, it's just one of those films just from top to bottom. And I'm, and I'm sure you're probably tired or, probably getting tired of asking or answering this question, but I don't think a lot of people know about the time, the first time you met Jeff Bridges for the role of this film. Yeah. Well, when I, first I've, I've read it. I've read the story, but I know our listeners haven't. And I think they would probably enjoy Well, it. the first time that I met Jeff Bridges, you know, back then Jeff Bridges playing the president of the United States was not an obvious thing at all. It has Even right now it's not. <laughs> Even right now uh, it probably uh, wouldn't be. Well, yeah, no, that's, that, that is definitely true. But I went up to Santa Barbara to meet Jeff, and he answered the door, and he was wearing his big Lebowski outfit. Now, I don't mean a big Lebowski style outfit. I mean, he was wearing a big Lebowski outfit. He had a pajama pants and a robe and t-shirt, and, and, um, and he says, Lebowski was wearing my clothes, not the other way around, he explained to me. <laughs> and then he asked me what I want to drink, and look, I, I'm not a drinker at, at yeah. all. You're, you're familiar with the movie, The Big Lebowski? Yeah, yeah, yeah. White Russians. So, okay, right. So he, he said, I said, what about white Russians? And he laughed and he goes, an excellent idea. So he comes with like six white Russians and two croissants. And um, I don't drink, so he drank all of the white right. Russians. And he was good and toasted by the end of the <laughs> And he put, it, he put his arm around me and he said something like, uh, the dude is president. Who would have ever dreamt that? <laughs> um, and, and a few, and you know what? Not long after that, uh, and the nominees are, and Jeff Bridges was nominated for playing President Jackson. 
that's awesome. And I loved also that um, that Sam Elliott was also in it, and uh, yeah. and you know who also played the cowboy in the Big Lebowski. So it's just well, Sam. Fun. Sam is a, is a guy who was completely not suited for this role based on roles he had played before. Right. And I said, "Fuck it, no, he's going to do it," and he nailed it. And oh, he, he was so amazing. Yeah, and and he's just one of my favorite people on earth. Yeah, he's amazing. I I not and two, I was like. And it was different because it's weird because you normally see him with his mustache, you know. In this one, he didn't have it, and it was kind when of I first, it because was when, I first, when I first met Sam, um, he had that very long mustache, like Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Hair down to his ass. <laughs> told him, you have to go HR Haldeman with your haircut. And he said, no problem, mijo. <laughs> Thanks, say I know. He... He's a great guy. He's a little grumpy on set, you know. He's yeah. So always talk about how noisy it is on this set, and, <laughs> you know, and full of his arms. And, but he, he's he's great. He pulled together some really good shit. Yeah, that was and it was amazing. Um, so uh, just a couple more questions. Um, these aren't related to your movies, but um, these are ones I always ask my guests whenever I have somebody sure. on. Sure. Um, but this, I'm just going to only ask you a couple. I usually have like a dozen, but um, whatever you need. So, all right. So, do you remember the first movie your parents took you to go see? Um, the first, yeah. Uh, my parents took me to go see. Yeah, or remember the first, even just first the one. First movie I saw, I was in Israel. Okay. I was a little kid in Israel, and I saw in my um, in my school uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, awesome! That was my brother's first one. Oh, is that right? And then yeah. when we moved to Canada, and the first time I remember going to a movie theater, I was mm -hmm. five years old, it was to see a reissue of Spartacus. Oh, nice. So, yeah. And, and, um, and then I think the first movie I remember seeing with my father was um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, nice. That's a good one, too. The one, yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I know... Um, you have a daughter named Paige, and um, and sadly, um, I read your Twitter. I've been following your Twitter for during this whole filming, and um, um, I understand you lost your son last year. And my deepest condolences for that. I, when I was hearing you tell the story or reading the story about this, I I myself just almost broke down just yeah. reading it and just how tragic and everything it's tragic yeah um it's, it, was, and it's, it, was, it was awful the, the most profound experience of my life by far and it was during filming of the movie yeah and crap and i remember reading about that and your daughter just telling you to go finish it and that i i'd seriously i about broke down because yeah. you know i'm just picturing my kids yeah, you know, the same, and just be like, I don't know if you I know, you know what you know what got me through. You know what got me through, Jeff. I mean, first of all, just unbelievable support from everybody, from my wife to the families of the fallen. Mm -hmm. weren't gonna let me down. But one of the most important, I mean, God, so much got me through it. The movie itself got me through, and I don't even know if I'd be here talking to you if I didn't have it. Well, I definitely wouldn't be talking about about the film, but right. I because it wouldn't have gotten made. But if I hadn't this movie, I don't even know if I'd be here, to be honest with you. But um, um, Joe Biden's book, 
right? Whatever else you say about mm-hmm. Joe Biden, uh, he's an impeccably decent man. There's yeah. a decency to him. And, he, and uh, when his son died, he wrote this book called Promise Me Dad. And he writes at some point, first of all, he writes about having purpose. Yeah. It's very important. But then he, he says, and he said this several times since, that there will be a time where the memory of your child brings you um, a smile before it brings you a tear. And I'm not there yet, but I know, I know that it's, I, it's only two years now, so, but I know, I know that it's coming, but I really am grateful to, um, to that book, to Biden, you know. That's awesome. Um, do you remember the first movie you took your kids to go see? Yes, I took my son to see Pinocchio and my daughter to see The Lion King. That's awesome. That's a great family tribute. Yep, it is. And that's how about, you? How about your kids? Um, <laughs> I took my son was three months. I took him to go see the King's. That speech. doesn't count. Three months. You meant you meant to go see Thor. I've I've taken him to see a lot of movies <laughs> that he doesn't quite remember because he was too young. But technically, that was his first one. Um, well, technically, then I took my son to see some action, some uh, kung fu movie. Yeah, and, like you right. Know, it doesn't count. Um, I'm not. Gosh, I'm not sure exactly which. I'm sure it was a kids movie, but I can't remember which one because so many have come out. I'm sure it was probably either. This it's been nine years. I mean, he's nine, so it's ones that he because you could take. I've, you know, I've kind of said this on our show is that there's a certain area where you can take a kid to a movie before they be, before you can't before they become a distraction to their. Because yeah, I used to take mine to you know in the stroller. Give him a bottle, yeah. take sleep, whatever. I know, yeah. Um, and then all the way up to about two, where they can't sit still and they went out of that stroller. So from two to four, you really can't take kids to. That's right. <laughs> about four, they kind of can simmer down. They kind of want to have more of an interest. Um, so it was probably either, it might have been a Disney movie. Um, more than likely it was. Or it was something like Despicable Me or something like that. Okay. Um, all right. Something similar to that. My daughter... I'm not sure because again, I took her to go see. I took her to go see a romca or a Nicholas Sparks movie one time when she was like four months. Um, and then uh, I say again, yeah, like you, didn't take her, you didn't take her to see it. The intent was not right. for her to see the movie. Right. You couldn't get a babysitter. No, I just chose. So you, to take her. So you just brought her with you and yeah. hoped you wouldn't disturb people. That's what you did. Right. Don't give me this. I took her to I, see it. She didn't see it. The movie. <laughs> Um, fine. Um, can't believe I'm getting chewed out by Rod. <laughs> um, well, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. yeah. But hey, 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 easy. Um, um, I actually don't remember because uh, I've taken her to see so many. Right. Um, because she's my movie buddy. We go see all kinds that's of. Awesome. That's awesome. That's just awesome. I took Hunter, my son. I would, I would go with him all the time, man. Oh God. His love for movies was just lovely, and it was such a bonding thing. Yeah, my my son is more picky now than he was. My daughter, she will watch anything. If we're even if it's just in the living room, she'll just sit together. And we'll watch. My son's a little bit more, I guess, picky about it, which is fine. Which is fine. I'm just so I just enjoy it that much more when he does want to watch something. Um, but but yeah, it's um. It's something that you know we can talk about and do different things, and I, and really find out what their interests are and what their thoughts are, not only on movies but about life in general. That's right. 
So, um, you know, one of the things that um, I began doing when my kids were a little older than yours is every Saturday night was classic movie night, and I would yeah. show them a movie, and then <coughs> the point was to spend time talking about the film and having them understand that it wasn't just this thing. You know, like when I was a little kid, I loved movies, but I didn't know that they were made. Right. I did this sort of came, you know, yeah. you know, and I didn't know they were directed. I didn't know what cinematography was. I didn't know what costume design was. It was weird that the same guy who was Moses was also in the Planet of the Apes. Right. But, you know, other than that, it was weird. So I started doing that with my kids and to build a film appreciation with them. The first movie I showed them was Shane. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know why, but it was Shane. And, yeah, uh, I watched it in grade school for some reason. I remember it. Now I've shown them hundreds of films. Yeah. And um, it's what we do. We talk about the movie, actually. That's awesome. Rod, thank you so much for all of this. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, tell people again, so obviously the Outpost, um, it's on iTunes because I pre-ordered it. And I tried to see, because sometimes when you pre-order on iTunes, it'll release it at 11 o'clock on a Thursday. Right. And it didn't. It actually had to wait till Friday morning. I'm like, crap. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, okay. So the, he, what I'll tell you is the outpost is available for VOD mm -hmm. um, um, anywhere, uh, Amazon, iTunes, all those places. Um, it is in some theaters um, and you just have to check your listings, I guess, maybe yeah. be lucky enough to be close to you. Um, but, and, but please, if you watch it on VOD, no iPhone watching, no yes. iPad. It needs to be no seen computer. on the computer. Yes, please. Please, we worked so hard on this to make this a big, immersive experience. It'll be a much better experience for it if you see it on something big and, and beautiful. All right? And um, I've been telling people to, that for more insights, especially about this film, and in just in general, definitely check out your Twitter page because you put so much. Yeah, thank you. So much information is in there about this film and the making of this film and it is just I, I it's just like a wealth of knowledge it's at rob lurie l-u-r-i-e r-o-d l-u-r-i-e yes so please check it out and rod thank you again i My definitely pleasure. appreciate it okay cheers so there's the interview um again i was very honored and very excited um i had to really kind of rein in my nerves because I was a little intimidated, but I was, um, but he was very, chill, very nice, very sweet person, very down to earth. Um, could not have been any nicer. I really appreciated his time and the people that, uh, his crew that helped set this interview up, um, to make this happen. Um, very appreciative of that. I, it was amazing. It was short, but it was amazing. I didn't even get to, I got to ask all the questions that I had written you know that i had prepared but right. i wanted to ask about the last castle because i didn't even get to that one uh the last castle which was actually filmed here in nashville at the uh the old prison where they shot the green mile over off centennial boulevard and over on uh over in west nashville yeah, yeah. um i kind of wanted to talk about that can we didn't get into that um and what it was like uh, he talks a little bit in the if you you know in the interview he talked a little bit about uh, talking to Robert Redford when they worked together on, on that. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was awesome. I, I'm very, 
very honored, very thankful. Um, so yeah, I guess um, we just got trailers left, man. Um, so first trailer is the least that I have is called um, Project Power. I believe it's on coming on Netflix. Uh, it stars Joseph Gordon-Lovett. Hashtag JGL. Um, and Jamie Foxx. Machine Gun Kelly's in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rodrigo Santoro. I'm trying to think of there's Courtney B. Vance. Um, so it's about uh, when a pill that gives its users unpredictable superpowers for five minutes hits the streets of New Orleans. A teenage dealer and a local cop must team with an ex-soldier to take down the group responsible for its creation. Isn't that called Limitless? <laughs> Isn't that kind of <laughs> like just a different version of Limitless? But I, mean, I don't know. It, uh, why not? Uh, August 14th. That looks interesting. Yeah. August 14th. Um, trying to... Yeah, I'm not sure if it's coming to theaters or if it's streaming because it doesn't really say it seems like a netflix kind of thing to do but yeah man i mean i'll give it a try why not right 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 um and then uh hey guess what hey patrick guess what what there uh there's an <laughs> there's a new true a new comic-con trailer for the, the new mutants can yes. we just take it out to pasture and just just man they've had more tra- <laughs> what they should have done is just really really excuse me just release it released a trailer but just have like a couple minutes of each movie because yeah. by because by the amount of trailers they've had could probably add up to a feature length at this point yeah <laughs> pretty much um, i mean yeah now, just, cur- go ahead and just, just release it <laughs> right currently it's set to release to August 28th. Quotes. <laughs> Quote, yeah. unquote. So the only thing I could think of when I see that is the uh, is the little gif of um, of uh, Marsha from the Brady Bunch going, sure, Jan. <laughs> that's, that's what I think of, like, August 20th, yeah. sure, Jan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, boy. It says theater, so. All right, man. Even and then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now we almost have to, you know. Oh, that's a TV series. Uh, that was a movie. All right, never mind. I think that's it, man. That's all I got for those two. Not a whole whole lot going on there. Um, the third one I thought I had was a TV series, not a not a movie. So, scratcheroo. Um I'm trying to work on our next interview um, so far with no success, but I'm going to keep trying because, you know, um, maybe try a different email, see if that works. Because um, there's one movie I think you and I both want to talk about, but I'm like, hold up, because I may try and see if I can work another interview there. Um, yeah. So yeah. stay tuned for that. Um, I know next week I'm going to talk about Palm Springs, which is the Andy Samberg uh, time loop comedy it's more yeah it's pretty it's kind of almost like a rom-com but it's it's kind of like groundhog day in a way but better better okay. i know blasphemy right um yeah. i'm not 
you know, uh, this may be, no, it will be this very unpopular opinion coming to you from me. Um, I'm not a fan of Groundhog Day. I know it's bad. It's just not. I okay. I definitely respect it. Yeah. I think I I know I enjoyed it the first time. After rewatching it, no. I had a friend in college named Gary. Gary loves this movie. He decided one day that he was going to try and set the Guinness Book of World World Records for the number of times watching Groundhog Day in a row. I said, bro, I don't have that kind of time. Right. I said, but you would literally be repeating it over and over, which is how I guess the movie's supposed to be watched. <laughs> True. A never ending but loop. I don't know how many times I need to I might I need to ask him. Find out how many times in a row he's uh, been able to watch that. But no, um I'll just go with yes, it's def people should definitely watch Palm Springs. Um yeah, I enjoyed it. There we go, spoiler alert into next week. Um, provided we don't loop. Um, but yeah, it's on Hulu, so no reason not to watch it. So, um, yeah, man, see, that's all I got. That's all I got. Um, yep. I I might talk about that bad movie next week. Give me some time to think about it. (laughs) It's made my list of worst movies of 2020, so. Oh, snap. (laughs) So that's number eight so far. Go ahead. I feel confident in saying that The Outpost is on one of my best movies of 2020. So, um, so everybody, uh, please do me a favor, go, go support the movie. Um, you know, it's and like uh, Rod said in the interview, watch it on a big screen. Don't watch it on your phone. It it's meant to be seen on a big screen. So, do so. Oh, also, um. Again, I'm sorry, Rod, that you had to yell at me about uh, about about not knowing the actual first movies I took my kids to go see. Because apparently, when you take when you take a three month old to see Thor, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a movie that they can remember. Yeah, yeah. Like I actually took them to go see, not once. Yeah. That, yeah. So. He called me out on my bullshit, I guess. I'm not really bullshit. It's just the first movie I took him to go. Yeah. But yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. What an awesome episode. All right, buddy. Well, I guess I will talk to you next week. All right. All right. Sounds All good. Right.